Newcastle Fans TV. Hello and welcome back to the Green and Milner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. And this is a real eye-opener. Real, real eye-opener. An ear-opener. God, we'll call it an ear-opener. Why not? But in terms of Newcastle United, you, you probably will have bad memories of Newcastle United throughout so many years. But one era that's, I'm going to use what Sam said in the interview, was swept under the carpet, was the McLaren era in 2015-16. And a man to talk more in depth was Paul Simpson, who was Steve McLaren's assistant at Newcastle United, Sam. And yeah. by God, refreshingly honest, and yeah. gave a lot of detail about how bad it was. I mean, some people like might raise an eyebrow saying, well, why, why do you want to get someone like Paul Simpson on and when like everything's positive around Newcastle now, why do you want to relive like that era, which was terrible? There's no getting away from it. And again, Paul is nothing but honest in, in the next hour. Me, me and Johnny at times were just gawping at some of the answers in just sheer disbelief. Um, I think this is actually one of my favourite ones we've done. I'm not going to lie. Um, coming straight off the the back of it, um, but yeah, this is this is an era that was swept under the carpet. We don't know much about of what what went on. We've got we've got hints and and inklings about what happened, but we don't know for sure. So this was something that I'd been keen to try and do for a while to get someone on that was there from that time, um, and and shout out um, shout out Harry. Let, let, let's name him. Shout out Harry. Um, um, but uh, yeah. To, to get Paul on, who I, I was a fan, like when you look at lower league, like he's, he's a very, very good football league manager as well, Paul Simpson, outright. Very, very good. Um, he managed one of my local teams for a couple of years and, and did a good job there. So, I, yeah, I really enjoyed this and, and you will too because I found it so interesting. It was fascinating. But as Sam rightly says, Paul is currently the Carl United manager and they were in the relegation zone. They could have been where Oldham were right now. And Oldham are playing National League next season, but Paul has managed to steer the ship and they finished in 20th position and comfortably in the end managed to stay up. But Paul was the manager where England won the Under-20 World Cup. So he has a lot of good experiences. He knows how to coach players. He knows how to get the best out of players as well. Like I'm looking at some of the players that he had in this England squad. Freddie Woodman, John Joe Kenny, Takayo Tomore. Adam Armstrong, Dominic Solanke, Adam Oda-Luckman, Esri Konza, Dean Henson, Harold Walker-Peters, Dominic Calvert-Lewin. They're all playing in the top, top leagues now. Yeah. And, and, some, and you think if Newcastle would get any of them in the future, you think, oh, that's a good signing for Newcastle. We've got so, one. We, we, we've got him, Freddie Woodman. We've got one of them. <laughs> get in. And then we're like, I'm looking at some of them there, like, there's some very, very good, very, very good uh, players there. But we go into depth and talk about Derby in terms of could he have potentially been at Newcastle earlier? Very interesting answer there. The transfer committee and the actual season itself. And we do touch on a little bit about uh, Newcastle right now. But honestly, this is one of the best ones we've ever done. I really do agree with Sam on that. This will change your opinion on so many different things, I think. But it just shows as well, Sam, how good we've got it now. Because that's oh. that was probably that was probably near near at the bottom. 
Exactly. It makes you appreciate how far we've come now. And, and you know, we're officially safe. We've got lots of things to look forward to. Um, yeah, it, it'll make you even more appreciative, put it that way. It's going to be absolutely incredible, hopefully, in the next five to ten years of Newcastle United. But let's go back memory lane. Let's go and have a bit of a... Yeah, but normally, normally when we go back to memory lane, like with the previous shows, it's looking back at the Bobby era, the Kevin Keegan era, and like all the good stuff. I mean, this isn't one of these, obviously, but it, it, it's interesting. I should just say Paul is an absolute top, top bloke, and we oh, wish him so yeah. much luck um, at Carlisle uh, next season. And yeah, he, he deserves all the success in the world. Yeah, 100%. A really, really nice bloke, genuine bloke. So... I wish him all the very best at Carlisle United next season. Hopefully they can get promotion into League One. But this is the Green and Mulner Show. Sit back and try and enjoy a really refreshing interview. It is with Paul Simpson. The Greenwood and Mulliner Show on Newcastle Fans TV. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Greenwood and Mulliner Show here on Newcastle Fans TV. Myself and Sam are joined by a man who has managed several, several football clubs, including the likes of Rochdale, Carlisle, Preston, Shrewsbury, Stockport, England in the 20s, where he was absolutely brilliant. He brought the trophy home. He brought us home. It's coming home. And Paul Simpson was the man who did that with England in the 20s. He's currently the Carlisle United manager right now, but he also had a spell at Newcastle United in 2015. It is, of course, Paul Simpson. Paul, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Sam. Yes. We don't get many people that have won honours at international level on this show, so it is a <laughs> real cue to get Paul on the show. It is. And the thing is with Paul, when I say the word salopian, which I am, he will know what I mean. You won't, Johnny. As I, <laughs> I am is. a salopian. So yeah. um, that that's a person from Shropshire slash Shrewsbury, Johnny. Yeah. First. I was going to say, so you're, are you Shrewsbury, are you not Shrewsbury? I'm absolutely Shrewsbury. I was born what, in Shrewsbury. Right. I don't know what the difference is. People tried to explain it to me. Why do some people say shrew and, and some shrew? I, I don't. I can't, still can't remember what the difference is. Well, you wouldn't call the animal a shrew, would you? You'd call it a shrew. No, you wouldn't. I don't know. No, no. I don't, I don't know. It's it, 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 it's a hot topic down here, Paul. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a debate that's been going on for centuries, and it's not going anywhere soon. But no, no. you're back at your hometown club. Hmm. Um, how good is it to be back in management? And I mean, you've you've done a cracking job in the short time you've been there already, steered and well clear of relegation. Yeah, it's it's really good to be back. I mean, the one thing, you know, when I um, I, I had a, a, a short spell in management at Stockport County, and that was my last um, that was my last chance to have a management job. Well, actually, saying that, I, I did about three weeks for Northwich Victoria, and it always makes me smile when people say. You know, you've gone to Derby, like my last job before Derby County was classed as Northwich Victorian, saying that's a big jump. And I'm like, well, that's not really what happened. I, I'd already agreed to take a job in Portugal looking after an academy over there. And I was going out. I forget what the date was. Let's say, for example, it was April the 1st. I was going out. That's a bad one. Is it April Fool's Day? But you know what I mean? So I'm, <laughs> I'm going out on that particular day. And Northwood said to me, would you be interested in taking on the job? And I said, no, I can't do that. I'm, I'm going to Portugal. I can't do it. And they said, well, we'll just look after it for a couple of weeks just till you go. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll help you with that. And it's classed as a management job for me now. So it's on my CV that I was Northwood manager. And um, so after Stockport, I just decided I needed, a, I needed to come out of the management. 
I realized that I'd gone from being a player straight into management. I realized that I made so many mistakes like, like all young managers do. And I just needed to go and sort of try and reassess what how I did it, reassess you know why I did it and did I really want to do it and also try and learn from other people. So over that time, I, I had an experience of working in an academy. I then got an opportunity to do some match observing for the Premier League and I was doing media work and I really enjoyed all of that. And I, get, I got the opportunity to join Steve at Derby County and then went with him to Newcastle and then to the FA. So I'd had loads and loads of different experiences. And when the opportunity come back to Carlisle, I just thought, you know what, sod it. Let's have a go. Let's let's see what happens. And it, I knew that it was a case of if I go in and I'm rubbish, then I'm probably never going to get a job anyway. So I had to take that gamble. And I also thought if I do do OK, I might get an option to stay on and then I've got a decision to make. And thankfully, it's the latter that happened. Um, and I'm really pleased to be back in. I think I forgot the responsibility that you have as a manager. I'd forgotten what it was like. I used to always laugh with Steve when he'd say, oh, we've got a tough decision to make this week. And I'm saying, well, what What with? He said, well, with team selection, I'd say, no, 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 no. Let's be straight here. I'll give an opinion. You have the tough decision to make. You have to make that final call because you get paid the big money. And And I really enjoyed that side. But now I'm back in the hot seat, I suppose. Um I've got to make the tough decisions and I get I get beaten with the stick for every decision because I'm never going to please everybody. I think it's really interesting that you talk about the differences between being the assistant and being the manager. What is the most frustrating element in that? But what is the most enjoyment out of being an assistant? Yeah. Um, the most frustrating is that but, but I didn't allow it to, to get to me too much. I think the, the, the big thing is that as a football coach, as a football person, and I'm sure you guys as a football supporter, you have an opinion and, and you believe your opinion's right. So when you have somebody else who says, no, I'm going this way, that can be a frustration. Now, there's many, many times where the manager's opinion was the right one because we've won the game because that's all you judged on. Do you win the game or not? I could sit there smugly when we don't win and sort of go, hmm, told you so. But once once the manager's made that decision, you just back him 100%. So I suppose that's the only frustration about it that I would say. Um, but the really good thing is when you're the assistant, you sleep through the night. You don't you don't resort to drinking to, to get yourself through it. You, you can just be nice and calm about it. And, and that's what I really enjoyed. And there's a different relationship with an assistant and players as well. You can be a little bit more pally with them. Um, they, they tend to tell you a little bit more. Um, so there's there's lots of good sides to both of them. But what I would say is I'm really enjoying being a manager again. And my intention is to stay in a management role for as long as I possibly can. Great stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you will. Um, although you've got a busy summer ahead, as we were just talking about before we started this. But no, going back to, to just before um, you and Steve McLaren joined Newcastle, you were, you were at Derby County and doing you were, you were on a good thing there, really. Yeah. You were yeah. incredibly unlucky not to make it into the Premier League. Um, but when Alan Pardew left Newcastle, there started to be a few rumblings about you and Steve maybe taking the job and then obviously John Carver got it to the end of the season. But yeah. was there any truth in that, that, that you'd been approached before the end of that season? 
Well, I, I personally hadn't, um, but I remember, I think it was when Alan Pardew left, I'm sure it was before the Christmas. I'm sure it was sort of November, December time. Yeah, it was it was and, around Christmas. Yeah, and, and I don't read the newspapers. And I got a phone call off my mum one Thursday morning saying, my mum's in Carlisle saying, oh, I, I think you're going, aren't you? I was like, where am I going? What's happening here? She said, oh, it's in the paper. You're going to Newcastle. Steve's going to Newcastle and you're going with him. I went, wow, I don't know that, Mum. I said, I don't know anything about it. I said, I'm sure if it's true, then I'll find out. So that day I went into training and I never spoke to Steve like in front of everybody else. I just left it. And we were stood on the pitches watching the fitness coach, uh, Sandra Alessandro, taking the boys round for a warm-up. And I just said to Steve, I said, um, my mum tells me we're off. Is there any truth in it? And he just looked at me and went, what do you mean? I said, Newcastle, is there any truth in it? He said, oh, they've been in touch with Colin, who's his agent, and they would like us to take it. And I went, ah, right, okay. I said, so there is truth in it? He said, yeah, yeah. I said, and what you think? And he went, no, it'd be wrong to walk out on Derby now. They've been really good to us. Um, I, I think we, we need to show loyalty. And he said, what do you think? I went, I totally agree with you. They have given us an opportunity, I said, and, and we're in a really good position. Um, when we went into Derby, the... I mean, they weren't they weren't desperate. They had a good group of players, Nigel Clough and Andy Garner had put together at, at Derby County. So we knew it wasn't a desperate situation, but we went on an incredible run of results. They did so well in that first season to get to the playoffs. And then the next season, Steve had sort of built up his profile because of what the players had done. So that's when the, the interest came to, to take him away. So we, Steve had talked about the first part of the job was to try and build the culture and get the environment right. The second part was the second season was to try and improve the squad. And the third season was when we were going to have a go at it and try to get promotion. Now, like all situations in football, because we got to the playoff final, everybody's aspirations changed for that following season. Instead of thinking, right, let's just get the squad together. It was like, oh, wow, we've got to get automatic. And we were flying towards automatic. And then all the Newcastle rumours started. So I just said to Steve, right, so if we're staying, I don't need to have this conversation with you again, do I? And he said, no, Simo, we're here, we're staying, we're going to finish the job here. And I went, right, brilliant. Let's crack on with it. So we never had another, I didn't have another conversation and I kept being told there was this rumour and that rumour, but I didn't speak to Steve about it. Nobody came to me about it. Um, I had no conversation with anybody from Newcastle. And then we got to the end of the season and everything just blew up. After the last game, Steve said to me, Newcastle have been in touch with Colin again and they still want us to go. And I said, it's not right. It's not the right thing to do, Steve. I said, we, we've come with a three-year plan here or a three, two and a half, two and three-quarter season plan. We're still in, in on track with that. And he said to me, well, it, it, if I turn it down, we're going to have to commit here for the next three to five years. I went brilliant it's a great place to be I think this is the right thing and as much as Newcastle is a magnificent football club my perception it from the outside at that time it's a mess it's it's a really tricky job so I, I sort of persuaded him to turn it down he turned it down and then he got sacked the fault about three or four days later off to Albi County and I'm going oh my word what have I done here um, <laughs> and, and and then you know, everything changed. And I know there was a lot of things, there was a lot of things put out that he was disrespectful to Newcastle, he was disrespectful for, to uh, Derby County. 
but he wasn't. He was respectful to Derby County in that he wanted to stay and finish the job off that he was brought in to do. But um, it was one of them things. It was um, it was a real tricky testing time at the end of that season. And, and because we missed out, everybody looks to have somebody to blame, don't they? And unfortunately, Steve got the blame. And, and I always say that we were a team together and the two of us got the sack and you just have to move on. It's, it's fascinating that because I think when you look from an outs- outsider, I think me and Stan were just talking about this and we were going, I'm sure he was nailed on. I'm sure he was nailed on. Like, obviously, mm. it, was, it was a few years ago now. We were thinking, I think we, we were almost expecting him, but Sam was saying that he was very fortunate at, uh, at his local betting shop. And well, hang on, no, hang on. I'll sugarcoat it a little bit because <laughs> I was personally delighted you turned it down at the time. Because yeah. I'd had twenty quid on John Carver at thirty-three to one, <laughs> <laughs> so I was chuffed. But you're absolutely right in what you say, Paul. Um, it was a mess, and there was yeah, no yeah. getting away from how much of a yeah. mess it was. When you did land in Newcastle, what were your first impressions? <laughs> um, well, listen. I, I eventually they they made it really clear at Derby that they didn't want me there, so. Steve had been in the job for two or three weeks and um, I'd, obviously I keep in touch with him. He's a really good friend and we, we had a really good working relationship. We still still are friends. Um, and I called him, I forget when it was, I think it might have been a Monday morning, probably leading up to the start of pre-season. And uh, I was saying, how's it going? Yeah, it's all good. I said, he said, what about you? I said, I'm actually going into the club now because I think I'm getting the sack. And he was like, all right, what do you want to do? I said, well, I want to work. And he said, well, if you get the sack, will you drive straight up here and come and start with me? Because I want you in the club. Well, Newcastle United is a magnificent football club. So I was, it was a no-brainer for me. So I'm saying, yeah, of course I will. Um, and and that's what I did. Got in my car, drove, um, drove up to Newcastle. Couldn't start straight away, but I, I just sort of stayed inside the training ground on the first day until I made sure that everything had been finalised with me with me leaving Derby and I think my first day out on the grass was a Thursday so I did Thursday Friday and Saturday and um, Steve pulled me after training on the Saturday and said right come on then uh, let's have a coffee together I was like yeah what do you want what do you want to talk about he said I want your your first impressions of what you've seen and I just said I don't really think you'll want to hear it Steve and he said why not I said because you know I'll tell you the truth and I we sat down, had a coffee, and he said, go on and tell me. I said, Maka, we're screwed here. I said, we've got real problems, major problems here. I said, I, I don't. He said, no, no, we're going to be fine. They've promised me we're going to get three transfer windows. I went, not a chance. You've got no chance of getting three windows. I said, if we get two transfer windows, so that's the summer, the January, and then the following summer, we've got a chance. But we have got no chance of getting three transfer windows. He said, no, no, they've promised me we will get it. And it just become really clear early on that there were so much issues that needed to be resolved in terms of the group of players, the group of staff, um, so many things. And Steve, when he went in, he he thought he was going to have an opportunity to to set it up how he would like it to be set up. Because I'm sure you've got your opinion, Stephen Clarence, and I know the majority of Newcastle fans have. It's not very good. I'm telling you, he's bloody good. He is very, very good. He never got a chance to be good at Newcastle United. One of the first things 
was a was a big thing for him. He said, I really don't like the way the club's been organised in terms of the the media and the public perception of us because there was bans on local media people. I don't know who they were. Bans on everybody really being in the training ground. And Steve said, I want my press conference to be opened up to everybody. I think it's really important, um, really important to, to do it that way. Club, club um, word was, no, you're not doing it. We have a deal with, I think there was two or three news outlets who they spoke to, and I can't remember who they were. And it was solely for them, nobody else. And Steve's saying, yeah, but this isn't right. We have to change the perception. We've got to make it a welcoming place. Weren't having it at all. Um, so straight away, he was off to a bad start. He gets criticised for not allowing all of the media to come in. It's not his call. He can't do anything about it. He's governed by the people above him. So that was the start. And even on the recruitment side of it, we knew what we needed. Um, but it, 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 wasn't, um, it, it wasn't done how probably 100% how Steve would have liked it, probably not even 75% of how he would have liked it. So he was on a, he was on the back foot straight away, unfortunately. You talk about the recruitment, Paul. In that summer, there was a, what you call the transfer committee, if you like. There was Lee Charlie, Steve McLaren, Graham Carr, who was the head scout at the time, and, and Bobby Moncur was also, was also on that board as well. Can you... Obviously, I know you, I know you can't speak for Steve, but could you tell straight away that he wasn't getting what he wanted very early on, and you could just tell in that summer, going into the first couple of games of that of that season, going, "Well, we'll do well to keep them up." Yeah, well, we we knew we needed centre backs. That was the big area that we needed strengthening. Um, we had Stephen Taylor, who was really struggling with injuries. We had um, Colaccini, who. I think I get the feeling Colo wanted the job um, when Steve come in. He, he he was listen. He, he was a fantastic servant over the years for Newcastle United. But it, we had we had issues throughout pre season with Colo, whether he's staying, whether he's going, and then the next thing we know, he's been given a new contract and he's still going to be the captain. And we're sort of going, is he? <laughs> Where, where's that come from? You know, so all sorts of things. We had a trip. Trip organised to America, which was really messy. Um, I, I honestly can't answer as to whether or not Steve had a real input into it. Um, I'm not sure he knew from our conversations much about Mitro. Um, don't think he knew a hell of a lot about him. He knew about Ginny Wijnaldum because of being over in um, when he worked over in Holland and he, and he follows Holland, uh, the Dutch football. So he knew about that. He knew about Ginny. We knew what a, a good player he was, but we needed center backs. We were desperately short defensively. Um, and, and there was, there was nothing coming in. And even, even in the, the, the following window, when we're coming up to January, I, I got involved in one of the first meetings leading up to the January was probably around about maybe November. I remember Steve saying, I want you to come in and I want you to, you know, you, you give an input as well. So I went into this meeting with, um, with, with some of the, this um, transfer committee that if it was called that we went in and Steve, it, Steve was old fashioned. He had it on a flip chart in his office. He didn't have a computer presentation, he did this flip chart with, this is like priority positions. And, and it was, they either have to be British or they need Premier League experience. That's what I want in this football club. And um, 
even in January, we still didn't bring a centre back in. Um, and the first signing, I remember Steve ringing me and saying, "We've got we've got a new player coming in tomorrow. Can you make sure Tom Oli Kitman has got everything lined up?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, no problem. Who is it?" And he said, uh, "He's called Henry Survey." I went, "Oh, Henry Survey." I said, well, I, "I don't know the name. Where did he play then? Where's he?" He said, "He's French." I went, "Ah, so it's Henri, not Henry." And he went, "Yeah, it is. Yeah." I said, "Right, okay. So is he centre back?" Then he went. Now he's a central midfielder. And you sort of think, right, okay, it's going to be like that again. Now, I think I think Steve had an input into John Joe and um, who were Andros Townsend. I think Steve had an input into that because he wanted English English or British players, but but more importantly, Premier League experience. Um, so it, it was difficult, but it, it was the way that the club wanted to do it. That was their plan. Um, sadly, it just didn't work out for us. Oh, Henry Saive. <laughs> Listen, he was a lovely lad. He was a top lad. And even Mitro, Mitro, as a as a bloke, was a top, top fella. I mean, I think Mitro's the reason my knee is completely knackered now because I spent so <laughs> many hours on the training pitch after everybody had finished, crossing balls in with my left foot, driving balls up to him for it to get hold of and crossing balls for him to come and attack and head. And he was obsessed about training. He was, oh, I'd say, come on, Mitro, right, last three. You're only getting three. I want I want two goals out of three. Okay, okay. And then he'd go, no, no, two more, Simo, two more. We need, we're not going in yet. I said, no, we can't. And then I'd, we'd get to the end and say, okay, finish. And then he'd say, right, go on the halfway line and drive some balls at me, make sure I can hold them. I'm like, okay, right. So then I'd have about another 20 balls I'm driving into him. And, and he, a fantastic bloke. But coming into the Premier League, it's such a massive step up from from where where you've come from. Really, really tough, um, and and it's a big challenge. And unfortunately, he he just didn't hit the ground running. I think now, after a few years here, he's showing. I mean, he's somewhere in between that Championship and Premier because he's he's too good for the Championship. I mean, his goal scoring record this season is absolutely incredible. Um, I'm really hoping he can do it in the championship. So what, what I'm saying in the Premier, sorry, so what I'm saying is there weren't bad people. They just weren't the right signings for what we needed at Newcastle. Yeah. And 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 to boot as well with, with someone like Mitrovic, when he we had him obviously when he was young and raw mm. and a nutter. There was how how did you even try to contemplate and control in his temp like his temperament? Because that that first season he was with us, he, I mean, he could have got sent off in like ten seconds. Oh, it's, it's frightening, wasn't it? I mean, he, he he did get. What was the game he got sent off at home? I think didn't he? Or, or was it Arsenal at home? And he probably should have gone before that, shouldn't he? I mean, he was he was like a raging bull, and he. And he there were some interesting days in training, but he was never an issue. There was never, there was never a problem. I mean, I, I remember after he got sent off, I, I was the the bearer of bad news. I had to go and deliver his discipline letter to tell him he was getting fined. I think it was a week's wages, and I sort of handed him the letter, and he went to no, stay there. I was like, oh no, no, it's nothing to do with me, Mitro. He said, no, don't move. You stay there. Well, I'm not going to argue with him either. So, so I waited, and he just went, ah, this is shit. This is this is not this is not acceptable. I'm like, I don't know what it is. And he said, oh, one week wages for a red card. I said, listen, you all agreed to it in the start of the season. It's not, this isn't me. You agreed to the discipline code and you shouldn't have got sent off as well. So he was never an issue, but he was, um, 
he trained with an unbelievable intensity and and he he didn't he played with with more of a raging bull mentality than he trained so thankfully we didn't have uh, didn't have too many uh, scrapes that we had to uh, try and deal with on a training ground i'd love to uh, speak about Jorginho Wijnaldum as well actually because when you look mm. at what he's done since he's left Newcastle, won the Premier League, the Champions League with Liverpool, I know it's not really worked for him as well at Paris Saint-Germain. But is he one of the best players you've ever been on the training pitch with, Paul, or is he the best, potentially? Yeah, he was outstanding. But but again, a real top, top fella. Really nice bloke he was. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he was a big signing for us and he showed the qualities that, he's, that he has got. I'm not sure... I'm not sure we saw as much from him as as Liverpool supporters did, um, and maybe that's just maybe that's the team that he was playing in wasn't as good. He needed to he needed better players around him. Um, he's certainly up there with as as a. I mean, I I look at footballers not just as a footballer but also as a person as well. And and he is he was a real top fella. He was Ginny. Um, in in a difficult situation, he he, he was a he was a real top lad. That was the thing with that summer, though, because on paper, obviously, you say, Paul, we didn't we didn't sign the d- the defensive reinforcements that we needed. We just got uh, on Bemba, didn't we? Um, yeah. But on paper, there was there was quite a decent list of players we brought in there, and, and one in particular just was utterly baffling was um, Tovan, who came yeah. with this lofty yeah. reputation of being a wonder mm. kid, but. Mm. Um, just didn't. I don't know whether he, you and Steve just didn't fancy him, or whether he wasn't putting the effort in on the training bridge, or, or or whether he just turned up to games like this and is just <laughs> utterly bizarre. But what what yeah. was he like to deal with? He was just really quiet. Um, I don't think he. I just don't think he settled in Newcastle as well as we would have liked. And and it and it's difficult, you know, if you're if you're asking somebody to come. I mean, even if if we're in, if you're asking somebody to come and move from London up to Newcastle, there's a big difference in the whole way of life with it from London to Newcastle. And and really, it shouldn't matter where you're playing. The football pitch is still the same. The trainings, you just get on with it. But. He just didn't seem to to really feel comfortable, and he was. He, I think he was going back to France when he, every opportunity he had, um, which is always an issue when you've got top level players because they they've got so much money. It's just easy on a day off to fly out of Newcastle, go back to Paris, and and have a night in Paris, and then you fly back the next morning to come in for training. Um, and and we were finding that with the Dutch boys as well. They were flying out from Newcastle to Amsterdam and coming back Friday morning and. So I think that's not the right way to do, but it's their day off and there's, there's not, you can't stop them. Um, so it was difficult in that respect. And I just don't think Florian really settled into the football club. And also, again, he's a player who, when a team's playing well, he's a talented boy. You know, you look at the, the clips of him before he come to us and even some of the stuff stuff afterwards, he got back into the French national team because of his performances. There's a big difference between French uh, Ligue 1 and, and the Premier League. It's it's really, there's such a such a wide chasm between the two. And he just didn't, he, he just didn't produce. So it wasn't that we didn't fancy him. We would have loved him to be playing well because he was a creative sort of player. And, and we weren't creative. It was simple as that. So if he could have fired, he would have been great for us. I think he... Was it his debut in the cup? He, he looked on fire, yes. didn't he? He, yeah. he was scary in his debut. 
but that was against, I think it was against the League Two side or a League One side. So it was a little bit of a different challenge. And going to the Premier League, he, he just he just wasn't able to do it. It's as simple as that, really. Obviously, that season, it, it obviously was difficult. I did have a couple of moments in that season. I can remember the Norwich game, 6-2 at St. James's Park. And there was the mm. two wins back-to-back against Tottenham and Leeds. After the uh, Tottenham and that's the Tottenham Leeds, Tottenham and Liverpool, what am I talking about? Um, yeah. After that, after that Liverpool game, Paul, did you think maybe you were on the verge of potentially doing something, maybe changing the way the whole club was? Because there were two big, big wins for Newcastle, especially that Liverpool. The atmosphere was unbelievable yeah, that night. They were, and and we were desperately trying to do it, and and you know just trying to change the perception. But I, I just think we were always we were always on the back foot um, in in the role because of. Because of the way of Steve's appointment, we were always on the back foot, really. But we did. We thought, here we go. This is an opportunity for us. We, we've got a chance here to to get a little bit of a run. Go and and I think that was. Am I right in saying that was before the January window? So we we yeah. think we might have a chance here to get it going. Um, listen, uh, you know, I, I've got. I've got no qualms about us getting the sack, particularly me. I mean, Steve might have qualms about it. I, I have no qualms because the results dictated we were going to get the sack. That That's the way football goes. I just don't think that we were given the time to do it, but I fully expected it. I mean, this is the daft thing about it. This is how convinced I was that I knew we weren't staying long. Me and my wife, Jackie, have been married for 34 years and we're just going to move into our 27th house um, and when we went to Newcastle, it's the only time I said to her, this ain't going to last long. I'm going to throw it. And we bought a house in Newcastle, but we didn't sell our house in Derby. We we rented this out because I knew that we were coming back to this house. And I, I fully expected I did a 12 month lease. And I said to Jack, I really do think that we'll be back at the end of this 12 months because the place needs a bomb putting under it and we won't be allowed to do it. Um, so, so that's probably a wrong wrong analogy to use, putting a bomb under it. But, you know, I mean, we, it needed so many changes to happen and I just didn't think we were going to be allowed to do it. And and the truth is we weren't. And as I said earlier, we fully deserve to be sacked or I fully deserve to be sacked. I've got no problem about that. Um, I just wish we were given a little bit more time to be able to try and address the issues that needed and maybe get the three transfer windows that Steve was promised, but we only got two. Mike Ashley and Lee Charlie breaking a promise. Who'd have thought it? But um, (laughs) this is the thing, like, look, all, all, I mean, it's completely different now since the takeover, Paul, but... Oh, massive. Like, it wasn't a happy place from being a fan. It it wasn't a happy time at Mm. all. And, And you and Steve have walked into a complete mess, as you say. The negativity, obviously was aimed predominantly at the ownership. There's no getting away from that. Did you ever have anything to do with Mike Ashley or, or Lee Charnley in particular, who who bore the frustration of, of, of the fans because the fans' perception of him was that he's Ashley's lapdog, lapdog and yeah. he's a bit useless? I, I actually only met Mike, um, I think, on one occasion. Um, I think it was the first game of the season. He had, I was just about to go on the pitch to to start the warm-up with the players and, and I'd heard somebody said to me, oh, the, the, Mike Ashley's in Steve's office. So I just went and knocked on the door and said, uh, hi, Mike, uh, just thought I'd come and introduce yourself. Paul Simpson, really good to meet you. I'm going out to warm-up. And that was it. I had no other 
no other communication with him. I think Steve, I think Steve met him maybe three times, twice at Watford because he was in a in a box at Watford and he met him twice down there. And obviously this this first game of the season, but to the best of my knowledge, he he didn't have any contact with him either. Um, all of the way that the club was structured, that Mike didn't want to be didn't want to be um, sort of visible. But he was very visible because he was he was the one that the fans weren't very happy with, um, and and I've I'll be honest with you I've only heard good things about Mark Ashley. Forget what the Newcastle fans say, but I've only heard good things about him. That's the strange thing about it. Um, Lee Charnley was the one who did everything inside the football club, um, and and I couldn't honestly say what what you know what what mike was saying to him I, I really don't know but lee was the one who did everything inside the football club he dealt with any issues i had you know if i one of the things the players wanted was something changing in terms of the food after games and they wanted more professional so i had to go and negotiate with lee charnley to get a chef to come on the bus and stuff like this Lee Charnley was also doing fifteen million pound transfers for Mitrovic and Ginny Wijnaldum and Chancel Mbemba, so he was doing everything inside the football club. And um, maybe that was maybe he was taking too much on. I don't really know. I think that's good. We've we've spoken to a lot of people, Paul, and we sit, when we mentioned like Mike Ashley in particular, they say, "Oh, barely's go to him. Barely done this. Barely done that." And yeah. I know some owners of football clubs might want to be hands-on, might not want to be hands-on, but surely mm. there's got to be communication on a regular basis for any yeah. business in life to make sure it's successful. I think so. I think um, if it's not right at the top, you've got problems. You really have. You've got to have stability at the top for, for things to be right. And, and a manager can come in and do whatever he wants, but if there's problems up there, You've got issues now. Listen, I'm I'm not blaming everything on what was going on up there because there was there was problems inside on the football as well. That there really were. Um, you've got to have proper lines of communication. Everybody's got to have clarity on what their role in the club is and what the um, you know what the parameters are as to what your role might be. What what how you can make things better and. I just think if you're bringing a manager in to do the football side of it, or probably, I think Steve's title was probably head coach. I think if you're bringing a head coach in, you have to let that head coach have a say in how he wants the squad to look. And, and you know, they've got to fit into how he wants to play. And if he identifies I've got a weakness in this particular area, they've got to allow, got to allow him to have a say in it. And I'm, I'm just not sure... Not sure how much of a say he was allowed. Um, and I certainly, I mean, at, at Derby County, me and Steve would have many conversations, would be involved in all of the recruitment meetings. I literally sat in on, on two discussions in Steve's office um, so that that was a different way that the club were working. And again, I, I've got no problem about it if that's the way it wants to work, but it has to work. It can't be an unsuccessful one because ultimately it's the... The manager who who's the one who loses his job, and then I obviously I'm, I'm I associate myself with with Steve as well. So I, you know, as a pair, we didn't do the job, um, and that's the decision that gets made. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree with anything you say there at all. But um, 
like from the, from the top end uh, since uh, a few years before you and Steve came in when Alan Pardew was there and John Carver and and even after that when when um, Rafa and Steve Bruce was there, players were getting handed unnecessarily long contracts. Mm. And like you, you say earlier about Colaccini and he it was it was clear he wanted to go back to San Lorenzo, but mm. he's being handed a new deal just so we don't have to like you say buy a replacement. So. Mm. I can I can imagine as a coaching staff that's incredibly frustrating to have to deal with, particularly when results on the pitch aren't going your way. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's um, and and maybe I, I'm maybe not in a position to to talk about it because I've I've never apart from Newcastle I've I've never worked at a, a big Premier League football club where the structure is right. Maybe this happens all over, but I'm sure. When I, I read what's going on, I mean, that's the only sort of way I know. Like, I'm like yourselves. Yeah, I read what goes on. I don't think somebody like Antonio Conte would allow everybody else to pick his players and he has no say. I don't believe Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola have no say in what's going on. I don't think Mikel Arteta is going to allow somebody else just to pick the players. They've got to have a say in it. That. They've got to be able to say, well, this is what I want. This is this is how I want to play. This is where I see us struggling because of what we've got. And it, it, to make it successful, it has to be that way. And and Steve was really clear, really clear how he wanted to play, what he wanted to try and do. He wanted to play good football. Um, he wanted to to have creative players. You know, the, the Derby County team that we had and then the players who we added to it, people... You know, like at the time, Jordan Ive was was an absolute flying machine and really creative. And and people like um, Patrick Bamford came in on loan. We had players like that. We had even defending players. We brought Andre Wisdom in on loan from uh, Liverpool, who was a real athletic, strong fullback who could get forward and who could create, but also could defend. So Steve had an idea of what type of player we wanted. Um how many he got of the ones he would have liked, I couldn't really say. But there was there was players coming into the football club who probably weren't what he was asking for, and um, and and you have to work with them. We we would never would never treat anybody disrespectfully. So we had a big group of players, and we had a big group of of French players who um, sort of overtook the dressing room and caused a bit caused some issues. So. It was a problem. I think we had something like 14 or 15 French-speaking players in the dressing room. So going into a football club at Newcastle where I was expecting all Geordie accents, it, they were all talking French. And some of them were good players, but there was a lot of them who were collected who weren't actually contributing to what we wanted to do. I can just remember, I think one of the last uh, signings in January was Seydou Dumbia. I think he played about 15 minutes for Newcastle. Yeah, uh, You know something? I don't even know that name. <laughs> no idea. Uh, oh, well, that just, that just sums it up, doesn't it? But hey, yeah. we'll, we'll move on. Um, you know, obviously, you've been very honest about obviously the results didn't go very well, Paul, and obviously there was a change of change of man, uh, change of manager. Obviously, Rafa mm. came in, and you, obviously yourself and Steve were, were let go. Was the only disappointing aspect was the the, the length of time because. After that Bournemouth game, I think everybody knew that Rafa Benitez was going to be the next Newcastle United manager, mm. but you weren't relieved of your duties until I think the following Friday. Yeah, 
we we carried on doing our job. Um, I remember we were sitting one day, I think, and, and it seems a long time ago, I, I'm sure I remember it was Steve's wife's birthday. I think it was Catherine's birthday. And um, it's he was sitting, we, we, end of the day, I don't know, you know, the players had all gone. We'd finished off what we needed to do. We, we've done all the planning for the next day. And um, I, I went to, to uh, I, I went past Steve's office and I saw he was still sat in the office and I said, what are you doing? What are you sitting here for? I said, I thought it was Catherine's birthday. He said, it is. I said, well, go home and spend some time with Catherine then. He said, well, there's nothing to do. He said, no, no, I'm, I'm waiting because uh, I'm fully expecting Lee Charnley to call me. I said, oh, why is it, have you arranged to speak to him? He said, no, no, no. He said, just all the rumours going around. He said, I, th I think it's going to happen. I went, no, don't sit here waiting for a phone call to be sacked. Go home to Catherine and go and celebrate a birthday with her. I said, we can't do anything about this. I said, if it happens, they'll tell us. And then I get the phone call. Uh, he rung, I think Steve rung me on the Thursday night and said, um, I'm getting the sack. Um, the They've called me in. Uh, they've called me in to, to sack me. So I've just told them, is there any real point in me coming in? I know what's coming. So let's just do it. Um, so the, I think he did that. And I said, well, what's happening with me? He said, I think you're going to get a phone call. And I got a phone call on. I think you're right. I think it was a Friday morning where I had to go in. Um, I had to go into St. James's Park. I think something like half one. And then about three o'clock, Rafa was announced. So as I came out the one door, Rafa was obviously going in the other. Um and it was a it was all a little bit disappointing really because when when you get your contract terminated, they um I, I listen, in football management I've been sacked a few times and I always try to I always like to think that one of the things as a manager, I always like to think that I leave the club in a better place than when I started. And that hasn't always happened. I accept that. So, that, so that's one side of it. But then I also hope that we leave on on amicable terms, so that the next time I go back, there's no real ill feeling. Um, and I wanted that to happen at Newcastle. We didn't have a fallout or anything. I totally understood that they had to make the decision, and and, and Rafa was seen as as the, the the right thing to do, and and Rafa did really well there. Um, but I wasn't even allowed to go and collect my belongings from the training ground. I was told, wait until everybody's cleared the building and then they'll be put in a, and they were literally put in a, a bin liner um, in the reception. You know, and I just think, I ain't going to cause a problem. I accept that this is part of football. And the interesting thing was, there was loads of things that myself and Steve talked about needed to happen to try and improve the environment. And Rafa went in and within about four or five days, all of the thing, or most of the things that we talked about happened, um, and Rafa was given given the the, the license, the the freedom to to do it how he wanted. And and I'm not saying that if we'd have been allowed to do it, it would have been totally different. But we had the same ideas as as what Rafa wanted to do in terms of making the environment a little bit better and 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 getting a better focus inside the group. Yeah, I, I think it just speaks volumes about how the club was run and who was running it and how they went about their business. That's that's the overriding impression I, that I think a lot of Newcastle fans have had over the past fourteen years. I've just yeah, got I one. Think, I think on that one, sorry, just on on that. I think Newcastle, they, they, what they wanted to do, they knew right, they realised we we were in trouble. They they needed to do something and they needed to do something fast. So I, I'm just presuming that they didn't want to 
sack us, me, Steve, and um, Alessandro. I think that I think there was the three of us all left. We were all sort of grouped together. Um, they needed to be sure that they could get somebody in who was going to give them a fighting chance. So they probably took a little bit of time to get the negotiations done with Rafa. And I'm fully aware. I, I know it goes on. You know, I mean, listen, we were talking about Shrewsbury earlier. I know Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury, yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> that, that, that club in Shropshire. Um, <laughs> I, I know that um, Roland Witchley had already lined up Graham Turner the, the previous summer. We'd lost in the playoff final. I know that Roland Witchley had already lined Graham Turner up, so I was dead man walking all that season. So I know it happens. I'm fully aware that that goes on. Um, so I think Newcastle, you know, I can't even criticise them for doing it because they needed to be right. It's a massive thing to go out of the Premier League and the way we were going, we were heading out of the Premier League. Now, unfortunately, they, they still went down, but um, they needed to give themselves a fighting chance. So I don't have a problem about that, but they, they should have nipped it in the bud. They, they, they allowed the, fa- the flames to get fanned and... There's a local reporter um, who, who works for one of the national papers who, from day one, detested Steve. Every single week there was a poisonous story going in. There was somebody inside the football club who was leaking some information that was getting getting like flamed up and made into an even bigger story. And and he was he was on a he was on a, a losing fight from day one, unfortunately. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, it's just. It's, I mean, we don't really get to hear much about this sort of era because it just seemed to have just been swept under the carpet and then, mm-hmm. like, kind of f- forgotten about. Which is why I find it so fascinating. But mm-hmm. obviously, times have changed now. Life is oh, great again good. as a Newcastle fan. Mm-hmm. We're, we're officially yeah. safe from relegation in, in the Premier League after a dreadful start. Yeah. Um, we've got two young, bright sparks which you've faced whilst they've been out on loan in League Two in Matty Longstaff at Mansfield and Elliot Anderson, yeah. who yeah. has been absolutely tearing it up at Bristol Rovers. You beat them both 1-0 mm. uh, with, with Carlisle. Um, I've got to say, we robbed Mansfield. There was a there was a decision that, that the referee and linesman didn't give, which was so over the line for, the, for them to score. But thankfully, they didn't give it because that was the Mansfield game was the one that assured us of safety. Um, so yeah, we, we we did beat them both, um, but they're both good players, really good players. Um, Elliot has, has torn up League uh, League Two. He he's probably, I think he probably expected to go get a better loan move than Bristol Rovers, um, as in a, and a better level. Not being disrespectful to Bristol Rovers, but I think he probably wanted to go Championship or top end League One, um, but nobody came in, so he went there. And fair play to the lad going, and um, he's got some ability. I still, I still think he's got a little bit more developing to do to be able to to go and affect the Newcastle United first team. But he's certainly a, a real talented boy for the future. Elliot Anderson is, I think, he, the Bristol Rovers fans called him the Geordie Maradona. <laughs> I think, and, that, and you can just even like that goal against Scunthorpe last week to make it seven nil. Like I know, yeah. I'd imagine you would have you would have had a game at the weekend, Paul, while that was all taking place. But yeah, have you ever seen anything like that in football, where something dramatic as that has happened, where Bristol Rovers won seven nil, Elliot Anderson scoring the winner? It's, I don't that, think it's ever really happened that far. That was incredible, wasn't it? I mean, Northampton must be absolutely gutted and raging at the same time that that's happened. You know, I mean. A, 
I forget what it was. Was it something like six goal swing, or it may even have to be a seven goal swing? I don't know, but you you don't expect that. I mean, Northampton they've gone and done their job properly. They've won, um, and they must have thought three. I think it was three one Northampton. They must have been thinking, oh wow, job done. Let's get partying, and then they hear that, and um, I don't know. You have to ask serious questions. I don't know the reasons why Scunthorpe had about six or seven under eighteens playing in the team. I mean, we're all reminded that we had to play. Um, our full strength teams in the in the last games of the season is no blooding youngsters and and making it an unfair playing field. I don't know why Scunthorpe did that. I'm sure they've got good enough reasons for their last two games. They went with a load of kids, but it certainly had a major effect on Northampton on, and and what happened in that Bristol Rovers game. And and by the way, Bristol Rovers are a good side as well, so they might have stuck seven past them anyway. I don't really know, but. If I was at Northampton, I would be raging about it. That's all I can say. I can imagine. But um, seeing the likes of Elliot Anderson at, at Bristol and and um, Matty Longstaff at Mansfield, they're obviously levels above League Two, I think it's fair to say. Oh. Does that not tempt you to maybe pick up the phone whilst you've got a rebuild going on at Carlisle to Shoal Ramiobi, the loan manager at Newcastle, going, send, oh. us, send us a few players? Believe me, I've already spoken to Ben Dawson. Um, no, it, um, it, it's it. Listen, we, we'll we'll take players. We we have to. We've got to be realistic in that. We we're very rarely going to get players who are going to come from London and from the southern clubs to come to Carlisle. We can look after them. You know, it's, I keep saying this in in the days of Bob Stokoe at Carlisle United manager years and years ago when I was a kid watching them in the seventies. The the roads and the the net the rail network weren't as good as they are nowadays, so it was difficult to attract players from there. Now, three and a half hours on a train, you're in London, and there's an M6 motorway. There's the A66 when it's not snowed under a Scotch corner that you can get across to the A1 and the M1. The the, the links in our country are brilliant, so it's not the end of the world like everybody thinks it is. I used to find that interesting at Newcastle as well. You people are saying, ah. Oh, you're not going to get big players. They only want to go to London. I'm like, it's not the end of the world. Newcastle, you know, it's a bloody good city to live in. And you've got an airport there. You've got the trains. Every, you can get anywhere you want from Newcastle or, or from anywhere to Newcastle. So we have that challenge. So we have to be realistic that we're probably only going to get players from the northeast or from maybe Yorkshire or the northwest area. Um, that's our first pool that we're going to look to go and get our players from. So Newcastle certainly comes into my thinking to try and get players who can improve our group for next season. And looking at next season, from a Newcastle perspective, Eddie Howard, as Sam's mentioned, has done a fantastic job. Newcastle officially safe last night, as we record, mm. uh, with Leeds' defeat at home to Chelsea. What, what do you think needs to be done this summer for Newcastle to make progressive steps? Because I don't think any Newcastle fans are expecting Newcastle to be in the top four or the top six next season. I really don't. Mm. Yeah. But... What do they need to do now, Paul, to make sure that they can say say they finish 13th or 14th to be a really good top half team next season, for example? Well, I think the job that Eddie has done so far has been absolutely outstanding. He's a really, really good English coach. And I'm so pleased that he's had that opportunity because English coaches very rarely get the opportunity at a Premier League club and at a bloody good Premier League club as well. You, the only way they get the chance is if they take a team up to the Premier League and then they get given a bit of a get a bit of a, a bit of a time at there. So I'm really pleased that the club have gone for somebody like Eddie Howe, who I think has has done really well. So 
if they, they if they carry on in the way that they have done since the turn of the year, I think there's every chance they're going to be competing in the top half. I do agree with you that it's a big step to think that they're going to be able to compete with City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, maybe Tottenham. Um, but they've got to try. That's what that's their aim. They've got to try and make the Europa League places for a start. If they can be touching on around those sort of games and and get European football back to St James's Park like they did, I think it was under Alan Pardew, wasn't it? They got the European yeah. football um, for a season, so they need to try and get that, and then they've got to build because if you want to bring top players in. They want to be in the Premier League for a start point, but they want to be competing in the European competitions, ideally the Champions League. So they need to try and be threatening in those, to, threatening to be involved in those competitions to attract them. And um, I, I'm I'm really confident that that they are able to do that. The one massive structural thing that they need to get better is the training facility. That has got to be changed. I mean, it's uh, I went from. And, and listen, I've been at clubs where we don't have a training ground, so I know both ends of the stick. But at, at Derby County, we had a fantastic training ground. And I, and I went up to Newcastle thinking, wow, I'm really looking forward to this. It'll be, it'll be lovely there. Wow, it was it was really, really poor, really poor. And, and we tried to make it as good as we could, but it, it's not a good facility. And top players want a good facility. If you want to, if you want to keep players to, to do extra work, to do extra analysis stuff and show them clips you've got to have an environment where you can do it and and that training ground just didn't um they didn't have we didn't have the right recovery facilities there you know we've got we've got paddling pools out on the grass as ice baths and you know that's not what that's all such about. a famous photo going round. i mean you must because it, it would have been when you were there was of course yeah. Yeah, the, the the players in wheelie bins in full of water yeah. and paddling pools and yeah. it, it's just it's just absolutely ridiculous. It just goes exactly. to show how much yeah. Newcastle far uh, fell yeah. behind. I mean, can you imagine? We've we've paid. I don't know the figures. We've brought Mitro, Gino Ronaldo, Chancel Mbemba, all somewhere between ten and fifteen million pounds. Them climbing into a wheelie bin and straining their groin and not available because they couldn't cock the leg over to get inside the wheelie bin for the ice bath it's just it's just not right you know and and, and that's what that's what Newcastle was and I know they, they talked for years about oh we've got the plans in for a new training ground but we've put it off because we you know we're on the verge we might go down and we don't want to spend that money which is fine not a problem at all but a club the size of Newcastle should have a proper training ground and I, and I believe that um, that there are plans put in place for some sort of hydrotherapy suite which will make recovery better and um, the way that sports science is in the game nowadays it's a massive part of it and you have to have the right facility um, to help you to do that and I think top players want to come into a, a top facility I mean I, I remember when I was manager at Preston and I was trying to bring some loan players in and I, we were talking to the agent of Seb Larson and Nicholas Bentner and um, another one Arturo Lupoli um, and they were all going out on loan and they got to a point where they had three or four different championship clubs. And I thought we'd have been a good place for them, Preston. And they said to me, right, they, what the lads want to do, they want to come and look at your training facilities so they can compare and see where they're going. And I just said, rule me out of it then. There's no point in them coming looking at my training facility because it's hopeless. I said, so if they're going to make a decision on training facility, 
we're done. We ain't got a chance because they, they want to they want to know they're coming into the right place that's got the right facilities for them. And that was the same at Newcastle. Just to let you know, Paul, those paddling pools are literally just they're actually for sale. So if anybody wants them, they can <laughs> yeah. just take them. Literally, I think I think literally they've just been they've just been put outside Benton in the last seven days. Oh which... well, I'm sure there'll be takers. <laughs> I'm sure there will be. Um, just finally, Paul, where will Newcastle be in ten years' time? Oh wow. Well, I think if they can, um, they seem to be trying to do it properly now. Um, they seem to be in a really good place, and I'm sure everybody is looking at, at what um, the, the Newcastle group are, are doing in terms of building a football club, and I'm sure they're looking at what Man City have done to try and build a football club. And if they can do it, I mean, Manchester City is a magnificent club. They've got a really good fan base. Newcastle could be even better than Man City. They've got to get they've got to get the right infrastructure in place. They've got to make sure it doesn't become um, just a, they don't expect an overnight success. It's got to be built over time, and there may be some some pain along the way as well. But I think if they can have a proper plan in place, Newcastle could be huge. You know, you think back to the days of of when Kevin Keegan were there was there. You know the the. The, the feeling that was going around about Newcastle then and the support base. I mean, you know, even though the team have been been struggling for years now, they fill that stadium every single week, in every, every home game. And it's a, it, as an opposition player, which I know from my days going to Newcastle, it is an incredibly intimidating place. On the flip side of it, when I was studying that technical area and Steve was sat in his nice comfy seat in the director's box and I've got 50,000, 55,000 people booing me, it's not pleasant that. That's that's a difficult place to be. But it can be a really, really good place. So I hope that they they, they build it. I hope it's the they, they have the, the long-term plan in mind because I think it could go on and achieve so much. Um, whether it can achieve what Liverpool and Man City have done, who knows, but they're certainly giving themselves the best chance. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, yeah, blame the owner. Blame the owner. No, no, no. I, 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 listen, it's football. I've, uh, it is. It's just, you just got to accept it, haven't you? It is. I know. But look, I mean, we can't thank you enough for coming on, Paul, and, and being so honest because I've found it so interesting because, as I said earlier, it's just. We just don't hear anything about uh, anything yeah. about this 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 era because, as you say, pro- uh, local media bans and and everything else with it. We just we just don't know the ins and outs of what what went on. So yeah, look, yeah. can't and thank you. And there's so on. there's so many other things that did happen that I'm not allowed to talk about. Um, so it's um, it, it it was a, a really interesting learning experience. It should have been the best job I'd ever had. And sadly, it wasn't. I can only echo Sam's sentiments and saying thank you very much for being so honest, uh, Paul. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the Green and on the show. And I do think a lot of Newcastle fans, when they listen to this, will be thinking, wow, that's how bad it was at Newcastle United. And I don't think anybody really could have done much better or much worse or however they want to interpret it, to be honest. So, again, really do thank you very much for your time. But Sam, where can everybody listen to this podcast? Links in the description and then uh, subscribe to the audio podcast and uh, hit that five-star review. So from myself, Jonathan Green and Sam Muller and the former Newcastle United coach, Paul Simpson, we'll see you all very soon. 
Newcastle Fans TV.